you are Locked On A's, your daily Oakland A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How's it going, A's fans, and welcome to episode 168 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, noted baseball fan, Jason Burke, and on today's show, I'm going to be going over the Manager of the Year award winners, an update on Tony LaRusso's DUI, and a question I got from a listener about Billy Bean's legacy in Oakland. So uh, we got all that coming up for you guys today, but also today's show is brought to you guys by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off of your next order. Also, real quick before I get started, please follow us on social media at LockedOnA's on Twitter and Instagram. I am at ByJasonB on Twitter. And if you have any questions for us, please send those to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. So on Tuesday, the Managers of the Year were announced with Kevin Cash of the Tampa Bay Rays taking home the honor for the American League and Don Mattingly doing the same for the National League. Uh, Cash and the Rays went 40-20 and for the best record in the American League and earned the top spot in the playoffs, the expanded playoffs, so you knew that they had to be really good. Uh, He had a pretty easy path to victory with his 126 points doubling up second place finisher Rick Renteria, formerly of the White Sox, he got fired, and uh, we're going to talk about his placement here in just a couple of minutes but uh yeah he uh easily ran away with the manager of the year award in the american league and on monday's show when i gave my predictions for these awards i said that cash's argument basically boiled down to having the best team in the american league and uh that's what ended up getting him the award uh two voters did not include cash on their ballot and one voter uh james fegan who covers the white Sox for the athletic slotted a's manager bob melvin first ahead of cash who he put in second place. So basically the argument for Bob Melvin in this case is that before the season started, the A's goal was to win the AL West. And uh, before the season started, we also didn't know about the expanded playoffs and eight teams in each league making the playoffs and all of that stuff. So Melvin got his team ready to achieve the goal. COVID happened. It was a short season. He still achieved his goal. And I think that that is what ended up netting him uh, a first place vote. Bob Melvin ended up with 22 points behind Cash's 126, so he was not close to first place at all. Uh, Renteria got 61, and then Charlie Montoyo of the Blue Jays, he got 47. And uh, just for clarification, these votes were cast before the playoffs began, so that is why uh, you see some of this stuff here. Uh, Kevin Cash, very deserving of the, of the award, so congratulations to him. But moving over to Donnie Baseball, who made it a clean sweep for Florida managers to get the awards these this year. Uh, he led the Marlins to a less than stellar 31-29 and record. It was a good showing for the Marlins, but, you know, just a one game above 500. But, you know, still, considering that they were an afterthought headed into the season, this is a big, uh, a big step forward for the Marlins. Good job on Donnie Baseball leading them in this shortened season to the number six seed in the playoffs in the National League. And I think that his path to victory in this this one basically boils down to in basically every hypothetical scenario where we had some wackiness and a shortened season that led to a weird postseason, the Marlins were the common goat in those scenarios. They're like, well, I mean, if the Marlins win, then it's not a real season. Uh, that was a very common theme 
uh, before the season began. So the fact that they even made the playoffs and then won a series in the playoffs, that proves that, you know, he was doing something good. Obviously, they didn't know that uh, the Marlins would beat the Cubs in the playoffs, but they made it and they did not just make it in. They they had their spot for a few days, I believe. And I know that postseason results don't count in this in the voting and all that stuff, but the baseball world found out that the fish can pitch. And in their first series in the wild card round against the Cubs, they beat them in two straight games. So they didn't even need a third game. They were just like, yeah, Cubs, cool, whatever. You guys won a World Series a couple years ago? Gotcha. Uh, they outscored them 7-1 to one in two games. They were not allowing any runs. Uh, the Marlins had some adversity to go through with uh, their COVID outbreak and just replacing guys at will because uh, they needed to fill spots on their roster. So Don Mattingly did a pretty good job with this fish team and a good job on him. And according to the Baseball Writers Association of America, Mattingly is just the fifth manager to win the the award after previously having won an MVP award, which he did in 1985 with the Yankees. The other four on that list are Frank Robinson, Don Baylor, Joe Torre, and Kirk Bleeping Gibson. Uh, he did it with the Diamondbacks, that jerk. And then the last thing that I got on Don Mattingly is that he was left off of two ballots entirely, while the other 28 had him as either the first or second place recipient. Uh, the two that left him off were both Nationals representatives. Uh, collusion? Maybe. I don't know. I hadn't heard of the two people that cast their votes. Uh, not for Don Mattingly, so uh, maybe it's collusion. We'll see. Um, anyways, tomorrow they're going to be announcing the Cy Young Award winners in each league, and I know that I picked Shane Bieber in the AL because I just refused to name the other two, uh, participants in this. Uh, they will be there for show. Shane Bieber is going to have a clean sweep. It's going to be, uh, pretty simple for him. Um, for the NL, I believe that I came down on Jacob deGrom getting in a close one because people don't necessarily like Trevor Bauer, but I think the Trevor Bauer is the most deserving of the candidates. Uh, and then you know, she's probably third. So, um, yeah, that's how I think that one's shaking out. Uh, check the tape on that one. Go back and listen to Monday's pod and tell me if, uh, my memory is shot or if that is what happened because I write all of my show notes and a Google Doc and then I just erase everything from day to day. So I do not have uh, proof unless I go back and listen. And I did listen to that episode. I just don't remember what I said. So let me know what I said. Uh, so far, I know that I am two for four with these awards and I'm feeling pretty good about who I picked for Cy Young and MVP. So I might end up going a uh, six for eight which not that bad, I would say, uh, considering that, you know, the other ones are kind of toss-ups. Uh, but moving on to something that doesn't fill me with joy or someone that doesn't fill me with joy, and that is Tony La Russa. Uh, Jeff Passan of ESPN added some more knowledge to what happened when La Russa was arrested back in February while driving under the influence after obtaining the police report of the incident. According to the officer, La Russa appeared incoherent and kept referring to his Hall of Fame credentials. And during the arrest, he said that he was returning from dinner with, quote, a friend from the California Angels baseball team. Uh, they haven't existed in quite a while, so uh, he's either old or super drunk at this point. But moving on, La Russa claimed to have had a glass of wine with dinner and said that he doesn't trust the breathalyzer test, which he failed after blowing a uh, 090, which is above the legal limit, and uh, then was placed under arrest after blowing that 90, or 0.9, if you will. Uh, before he was placed into the police cruiser, La Russa asked the officer, quote, Do you see my ring? I'm a Hall of Famer baseball person. I'm legit. I'm a Hall of Famer, brother. You're trying to embarrass me. And end scene. 
The report continues, after arriving to the station, he refused to comply with blood tests to assess his blood alcohol level, so they got a warrant to take his blood anyway, and he registered at a 0.95. So it sure seems as though he had been drinking, and according to the blood alcohol chart, uh, he definitely had more than one beverage. Uh, if you put him at like 200 pounds, which at six foot and, you know, being 76, I'm guessing 200 is right around that area, then my back of the napkin police work is putting him at around three drinks. So uh, there's that. Uh, I, I do not want to make jokes about alcoholism because it is a terrible disease. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that we all know somebody who is an alcoholic and, you know, y you want help for them. Um, so I don't want to make light of Tony La Russa in this situation, but uh, I, I do not like it when people use their standing in society to get special treatment because that is not how this works, Tony. Um, According to the report, the officer was very patient with Tony La Russa, giving him time to look for his license, even though he flipped past it a couple of times. And I know that not everyone would have been afforded the same level of patience. And I'd really prefer if Tony La Russa just came out and said, like, I made a mistake and I'm deeply sorry. You know, rehash what he said in 2009. Uh, do that. You know, some attempt at an apology right here. But uh, instead, when asked for uh, a comment from ESPN, he said... Quote, I have nothing to say. And then he just hung up the phone. So he's acting like the victim here. And that's just something that I find completely and utterly disgusting. So uh, have fun with him, White Sox, I guess, because he's going to be your manager um, for a, a few games. I don't know how long he's going to last. But this definitely isn't the start that you want for uh, the new phase of your team when you have the White Sox are so much fun. I, I'm going to keep saying that. The White Sox are a very fun team to watch. They got young guys that are full of talent and swagger and all that good stuff. All the things that I come to the ballpark to watch. Uh, or the TV, in this case. Um, and then they hired Tony La Russa, who seems outdated anyways. And now he's got a couple of DUIs, too. And it just doesn't seem like there's any reason to be rooting for the White Sox right now, other than the players on the field. Uh, their management system's all messed up right now. Uh, and it starts with the owner at this point, because he's the one that wanted Tony La Russa. And and uh, it's not going well, Mr. Reinsdorf. So uh, ha have fun with the mess that you created, man. Uh, anyway, coming up on the show, I answer a question about Billy Bean's legacy. So stay locked in with Locked On A's. I'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you guys by the best tasting protein bar ever. That's right. We're talking about Built Bar. The improved Built Bar is even more deliciouser. They have 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. They have six new flavors, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. They also have their original 12 flavors. I, I always say raspberry, but... They have so many other good flavors in there. You got to check them out for yourself. And all of their bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They are soft and easy to chew. They are protein bars that taste like candy bars. And Built Bars are built for the health conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. All the bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for the keto diet. So to take advantage of these delicious treats, all you got to do is go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code Locked On. That is one word locked on and you get a free cooler with purchase and also 20% off your next order. So use promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. 
Welcome back to the Locked On A's podcast. If you guys are enjoying the show, please subscribe wherever you like here in podcasts. And also tell a friend about the podcast because we're doing A's coverage for you guys every day of your work week. So we're here Monday through Friday for you guys. Also, follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I am at ByJasonB on Twitter. And if you have any mailbag questions for us, like I'm answering right now, coming up in just one minute, you can send those to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. So I got an email a couple of days ago from one of our listeners, Russell, and he asked me two questions, but I'm only going to answer the first one today. The second one I'll get to uh, by the end of the week. So uh, hold on to your pants, Russell. Uh, I got you covered here in just a couple of days. Uh, Russell asked, if this was Bean's last go around, what are your thoughts on his legacy in Oakland? He certainly made Oakland a lot more relevant than I think a lot of people would over the last 20 years. But does his lack of playoff success tarnish his legacy at all? Uh, So to answer that question, I'm going to go with yes. So stay indoors and celebrate good times, Oakland. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. I'm just messing with you guys. Allow me to expand upon my yes answer. Uh, Yes, I think that the lack of success will ultimately hurt how Billy Bean is viewed on the whole, but I can't think of anybody else outside of maybe Theo Epstein that I would have preferred running the A's. Uh, I think that Bean's larger legacy is bringing advanced analytics to the mainstream. That's probably what he's going to be remembered for, not necessarily his tenure in Oakland. Um, You know, as, you know, time goes on and all that stuff, he'll be remembered for what he brought to baseball. And so uh, that's what I'm going to be focusing on. I think that he's also going to be remembered for giving Michael Lewis access to the A's while he was writing Moneyball, which put Bailey Bean on the map. And what may have ultimately kept him from enjoying larger success in the postseason because he basically told his competition how he was building these teams while spending like a third of what the big market guys were. And I'm pretty sure that the big market clubs would have figured it out sooner or later, but Bean could have potentially widened the gap a little bit more before the monetary resources that other clubs had uh, caught up with the A's and their budgetary constraints. Uh, Basically, all I'm saying here is that he made his job harder than it had to be, but I'm also kind of glad that he did because I love pouring over analytics and I don't know that we'd be at this point in baseball history without Billy spilling the beans. Uh, I know that there are a lot of things that have fundamentally changed about baseball, like shifts, very limited sacrifice, bunts and stolen bases, and an emphasis on the home run. And a lot of that stems back to either Moneyball, which, you know, is definitely an ace thing, or the launch angle revolution, which I feel like the 2012 A's are commonly associated with. And that may be a little bit of a homer slant, but I know that they were the first team that really had like a few guys that were doing it. You know, you had uh, Brandon Moss and Josh Donaldson. Those were two big parts of that 2012 team and, you know, beyond as well. Uh, He's continued to find ways to build a competitive team. And if he had an owner that was willing to spend when the time came, I have no doubt that he would have probably gone the Astros rebuild style a while ago so that he could have built a sustained winner and then had, you know, his, his key cogs locked up for numbers of years. Uh, And I think that because ownership has been so tight-fisted with money, a decent amount of people will give Billy Bean a pass when it comes to his lack of playoff success. Uh, When it comes down to it, I think that that's going to be a determining factor in how Billy Bean is remembered, and it's that he didn't have a lot of money to work with. And also, that's kind of part of the mystique of Billy Bean is not having that money to deal with. And if he did have some money to retain some key cogs over the last 20 years, maybe the A's fortunes would have been a little bit different. So I think that some people will be looking at it from that direction as well. But uh, I think that all in all, uh, Billy Bean should be celebrated for quite literally changing the game. I don't know that he's quite Hall of Fame worthy, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he got in as he's leaving baseball. For us A's fans, he's been the most recognizable person for the club nationally because the A's don't hold on to a lot of their players, at least for very long. They get them for four years or whatever, and then, you know, 
it's on to other pastures, not greener, different pastures. Uh, and I think that after him, the most recognizable person for the A's is right field will. And then, you know, closely behind him, it's probably Matt Chapman and Matt Olson, but you know, it's definitely right field will after Billy Bean. Um, Billy's legacy will take some time to figure out on the national stage. But for me, I'll always have fond memories of the teams that he constructed, especially the 2012 squad. So, uh, you know, when, when it comes down to it, thank you, Billy, for everything that you've done over 20 years. And I just wish that he could have seen a winner in Oakland because I think that that's, you know, not a dream, but, you know, kind of a dream if you want to be sentimental about it. I don't know that if Billy Bean has dreams, but I think that if he did, winning a championship in Oakland would definitely be uh, near the top of that list. Um, but this is actually it for me today, you guys. So have a great Wednesday. Until next time, stay indoors and celebrate good times, Oakland. Keep Keep wearing those masks and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow.